Welcome to the Innovative Accountant Podcast, presented by the WealthGo Group of Companies. Join today's host and CPA, Tim Cokewell, for thought-provoking ideas, information, and best practices from leading experts, focused on supporting the accounting profession and the integrated advisory community. We've got a great guest joining us today, so let's get started. Hello, my name is Tim Cokewell, and I'm today's host for the Innovative Accountant Podcast. It's my pleasure today to have our special guest, Brandon Poe, with uh, Poe Group Advisors, joining us south of the border in Charleston, South Carolina. Welcome, Brandon. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Yeah, so uh, I've had the pleasure of getting to know Brandon here over the last couple of years through uh, my president, David Udy, and our involvement with Strategic Coach. And uh, it's been great to uh, have a chance to chat with Brandon, learn about his practice, built up a, a really successful practice helping CPAs across North America buy and sell their firms. And as a fellow CPA, I'm, I'm always, uh, I always learn something when I get a chance to talk with Brandon. So thanks for joining us, Brandon. And uh, maybe we can start off with you taking a few minutes to introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah. So um, as Tim said, my name is Brandon Poe. I'm the founder of Poe Group Advisors, and I'm also the creator of the Accounting Practice Academy. I've been selling firms since 2003. We entered the Canadian market in 2006, I believe it was. We started in Toronto. Yeah, we help firms uh, exit. We help them oftentimes years before they're actually ready to exit. So we consult with people to get ready for a sale. We're focused on this industry only, so we don't sell anything else. So um, yeah, that's uh, in a nutshell, Po Group Advisors. Well, that focus since 2003 has... Uh led to some pretty great results. Your team continues to grow and uh, uh, it's exciting to see. So maybe, Brandon, just let's go back to a little earlier and yeah. talk a little bit about your background. You know, you're from Charleston. Um, you sort of went into the CPA world and that was sort of where you started your career. Just give me a little bit of your history and how you arrived at Poe Group Advisors. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun story. So I started my career with Ernst & Young as an auditor. And uh, I learned very quickly that that was not the path for me. And um, I did go, I went to work for a smaller mid-sized CPA firm called Elliott Davis, uh, which was a great place to kind of learn a variety of different businesses. They had small companies and large. And um, But I knew I wanted to get out of public practice and, and into sales, actually. I really wanted to do sales work. And I learned, I, I guess that came to me, you know, maybe three, two, three years into public accounting. And I got a call from a friend of mine who had a father, he was the son of a father-son business. And, and, and of all industries, it was plumbing distribution. So they sold bathtubs and pipe and all sorts of, uh, you know, plumbing uh, fixtures. And so they wanted me to come and do their books. And I said, well, you're pretty small company. Uh, I don't mind doing the books, but what am I going to do with the rest of my time? Because it's not going to take me that long. Will you teach me how to sell? I really want to get into sales. So the father um, was an amazing salesperson. He had this really cool history and really successful record. And he just learned from just uh, the school of hard knocks on how to be effective at sales and I was calling on contractors and plumbers and kind of a rough bunch. 
And um, so, you know, looking back, like if you can learn to sell to those people and develop some thick skin, you can probably sell to anybody. And um, so I really enjoyed that. And actually they made, made me partner in that business. And then we started a manufacturing um, little sideline business and that went off pretty well. And then a few years after that, we decided to sell that piece off. And um, I met this attorney who was also a CPA and he was sort of facilitating the sale. And I thought, you know, that was my first exposure to a sale was with my own um, company. And I really liked it. Like I really liked it. And um, anyway, fast forward a few years beyond that. um, I was going to do some continuing professional education and was going out of town and a buddy of mine who lived um, in Columbia, South Carolina, we went and we went to a bar and had a couple of beers and we were shooting pool and he had bought a CPA practice. He goes, you know, there's, really, there's this guy that just sells CPA firms. You should call him and see if you can buy a CPA firm in Charleston. So I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So I, um, I get up the next morning and I forgot the guy's name that he told me and I connected with the wrong guy. So I went online and just did a Google search and I um, connected with a guy named Howard Holmes who, who had started accounting practice sales and he started accounting practice sales, I think, in around the year 2000. So uh, Howard said, well, I don't have anybody in South Carolina. Do you want to sell CPA firms? And I said, yeah, actually, maybe I do. And so, uh, so I get on a plane and I fly to Dallas and, and Howard signs me up that day. And um, so I started selling CPA firms and with, with accounting practice sales under the direction of Howard Holmes. And um Howard was an awesome mentor. And then he left. Um, he sold the company a few years later. He, interesting guy. He's like, when he started the business, he's he had a five-year plan. He was going to start it and sell it in five years. And um, he, he went on a little bit further than five years. But anyway, when he sold, um, I decided to leave and we left on good terms. But um, that's when Poe Group Advisor started. Yeah, that's awesome. It's uh, interesting to hear the story and where at one point you're gonna you're gonna go and run a CPA firm and then you end up selling them. So yeah. it's you know I think accountants sometimes get a a bad rap too for not being salespeople, but uh, you know that part of it for you. Talk a little bit more. Like so, why why what 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 about the sale? kind of motivates you and why is that such an enjoyable uh, part of your career and what you're doing? I don't know. It's just, you know, selling is, a, is, um, it's just, I find it fun. You know, I, I find it fun and um, it's kind of the thrill of the hunt in a way. Like there's a lot of that part of it. Um, I like talking to people. I just, it's one thing I didn't like about auditing. You're just sitting there mm-hmm. grinding away. And I was just like, find every excuse I could to get up and go talk to the client, you know? And um, so I guess that's part of it. So the relationship side and yeah. yeah, I can empathize with that. When I was at KPMG, that was the the same thing for me, went through the audit side and sort of moved to more of the, the selling and the relationship side of the business. So Exciting to see that. Uh, as you 
sort of look at your team today. Let's talk a little bit about that. So you've, uh, you know, obviously learned a lot on the sales side, brought some new team members in. How did, how did that sort of come about? Uh, talk about the number of people you've got, what that sort of complement looks like today. Yes. I think, I think the total team is, is 14 now company-wide throughout North America. Um, we've got a, uh, wonderful, uh, regional market leader in Toronto, um, Daryl Boyd, who joined our team, uh, gosh, I think it's going on five or six years now. And he has just done a tremendous job in, uh, Eastern Canada. And he has a team that reports to him and, um, they actually, so the team, two of his team members, and he's got a team of five total, two of his team members were actually clients of ours. We helped them sell their firm yeah, yeah. and they were, you know, they were uh, looking for another opportunity and that's how they came on with us. They had built a really nice cloud firm and had uh, a remote team all over Canada. So um, Sean and Carrie, they're doing a great job and, um, you know, I've made some big mistakes in hiring. I think anybody who owns a business has made some bad hires. I made a, gosh, I made a really bad hire a couple of years ago and ended up letting, um, letting him go pretty quickly. But, uh, I, th- I think that's just part of owning a business. You're going to make some mistakes. So yeah. I've got a great team. Um, I'm a very hands-off manager, so I need people who are self-starters and self-motivated and those people aren't always easy to find, but, um, you know, I think if, if a team member can thrive in that environment, you know, you got somebody good. And if they're, if they're not, then they're probably not right for my team. So. Well, and I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of the coaching you give to CPA firms on how they're building their business, running their teams, um, you know, you, you've got to have a pretty good handle on that in your own business. I'm sure you're, you're uh, eating some of your own cooking in terms of the advice you're giving them. So it's uh, obviously working. Um, you know, your, your experience in Canada, the United States, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about the profession as a whole. Um, you've got a really good insight into, into both countries and where the profession is involving. Talk a little bit about some of the disruption uh, that you see the accounting industry facing here today um, where the profession is going from your perspective. Yeah, I, I think the profession has kind of been going in this direction for some time. COVID has accelerated this trend. We're going to a more uh, automated uh, version of accounting when it comes to the compliance side. And um, we, did a, we did a little workshop, a tech stack workshop, recently. And, you know, one of the questions was, if you're starting a practice from scratch, what would you do? And the answer is completely browser-based applications. So uh, every, in other words, everything's in the cloud. So that's definitely happening. And, you know, you've got QuickBooks Online, you've got Xero, um, a lot of cloud applications. Um, and that's going to just foster more and more automation of the routine work. So, uh, I think, you know, the current profession, the old fashioned profession is going to be competing with 
computers and AI going going forward. And we've heard a lot of about that, but I think we see with COVID and the need to work remotely, um, people have been forced to adapt. I think what I'm seeing is more and more people are switching to that cloud model now than they have in the past five years. So I think when you come out of COVID, post-COVID, a lot of transformation will have happened. And, you know, as these applications get better and better, um, the good news is the work is going to get easier and easier. The bad news is that's going to bring price pressure on some of that work. And so how do you differentiate yourself and how do you not get into that price competition model? That acceleration of technology for sure with COVID, right? Everybody's talking about that and seeing that. What's what's that mindset like? Like when you when you're meeting with firms, um, what is the what's the the feeling? Are they are they worried? Are they feeling disrupted? Are they most of them looking at it as an opportunity to evolve? What what, what do you see as uh, the current state of their minds? I think it's you know it's a mixed bag out there. I, accountants are a lot of times really resistant to change. As a profession, we're a conservative profession and probably more change resistant than most others. So I think there's a lot of people that are feeling a sense of resistance against it. You know, like, I don't want to change. It's, it's, well, it's change is hard. And changing these things over, it's, it's one client at a time. That's what people don't realize. You know, it's, it's not like you can just flip a switch and, Hey, I'm, I'm in the cloud. You gotta, you gotta have, every client make that transition with you. If you're switching to a remote uh, workforce, you've got to, every employee has to be, you know, transitioned over to that. So uh, it, it's a real, it takes an effort to make change. And the thing that I see is a big roadblock, a big obstacle for, for accountants is especially this year, right. Is, is busyness. The worst thing, the worst thing is busyness. And, um, Interesting. which I think is somewhat rooted in the inability to delegate in most cases. Um, you know, but, but on the other hand, there are people that are, um, just way ahead of the curve. And I was, um, we have a, a new practice that's coming on the market in Manitoba and it's not on the market yet. And, the owner uh, has multiple companies like other companies besides his uh, practice. And he works about three hours a week in his practice. So he's delegated pretty much the whole practice and he's built just a really nice firm. And I asked him, you know, he's like, Hey, you delegate. That's <laughs> it's easy. You delegate and you think about what the clients want. He's like, I get involved when the clients want to talk about the future. I get involved when the client wants to, you know, when I say, you know, where do you want to be in three years? Where do you want to be in five years? You know, how can we help you get there? And that's the difference. Yeah. Taking, we talk a lot about that with the firms that we work with in terms of that rear view versus windshield kind of focus. And a lot of, you know, the traditional accounting services tend to be a little bit rear view. We're doing the year end, the tax return from the prior year. Um, so as you see that with, uh, 
uh, with firms. You're saying the ones that are avoiding a bit of this disruption are, are truly taking that windshield focus. Is that sort of the key thing they're doing? Well, I think um, the ones that are avoiding, they just don't see the world changing around them because mm-hmm. they're they're too busy to look up and it's too painful to change. Um, I think the ones, you know, in, a, in terms of mindset, the ones that are probably going to do the best are the ones that are really thinking about the client. What's the coolest client experience we can provide? Well, it happens to be that these new technologies are also amazing for client experience. Yeah. And and so kind of bringing that back to value, which is a big part of what you're doing with firms is helping them, I'm I'm assuming, assess the current value. You know, if you're if you're working with them at earlier stages where maybe they're not quite ready to sell, what are some of the things that you're coaching them on in terms of how they can continue to at least maintain their value, but not only do that, grow it, create sustainable growth, greater practice value. Talk a little bit about that. As in terms of coaching people on value, uh, you know, there's no one size fits all, but it's really looking at some of their key metrics, profitability being probably the, the biggest one to really focus on. Um, how focused they are, I think, has a lot to do with profitability. If they're too scattered, you know, for example, um, you know, if a firm is doing one or two audits, engagements, they probably need to get out of that space Mm -hmm. because they're probably losing money if they're just dabbling. And um, if they've got some staffing issues, they need to, sometimes they just need to, um, sometimes they just need confirmation of what they already know they need to do. They just need to have somebody kind of uh, nudge them along. You know, I'd see a lot of weak, a lot of times a, a, a practice owner doesn't have the team they need and they're, they don't want to make that change. But if you're three to five years away and you need some real um, staffing changes, then you need to make those changes sooner. The sooner, the better. Um, Sometimes there are partner issues that need to be ironed out ahead of time. You don't want to, you'd be amazed at how many firms don't have great partnership agreements and so mm-hmm. the exit path is unclear because uh, of that. And oftentimes partners don't have the same exit timetable. So that's something you have to focus on. Um, and one of the big decision makers people have is when they want to win. When do they sell? The timing issue is a huge decision. That's probably one of the biggest and first decisions people have to make. And it's the hardest one that they struggle with. Um, so getting clarity around that, then you can say, say, okay, if we've got a five-year time frame, that's going to cause us to do different things than if we only have a three-year time frame. Um, you know, I, I interesting story. I had, um, I got a call a couple of years ago from, uh, a partnership in Canada and, and, um, the managing partner said, you know, I want to sell. And I was like, okay, what's your what's your exit time frame? And he says, Oh, it's 10 years. <laughs> I said, wow, you're, you're really thinking ahead. So we actually, did, yeah, that was, uh, I did some one-on-one coaching with him, which was sort of laying the groundwork for accounting practice Academy. Is, is that your preference then, as you look at working with, uh, 
CPA firms, do you, do you like to kind of get your hooks into them early on to sort of help guide them? Like if you've got 10 years, that, that makes a lot more sense than trying to sort of sort through that at the end or what, what's your preference there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love to, um, and that's kind of why we created Academy and why we wrote some of the books that we've written. And, um, I'd love to, you know, it's easy, it's easy and fun to sell a great firm. And, um, if we can help someone position their firm and build it to where it's more marketable, um, that just is, gives us a lot of pleasure. And on the flip side, if somebody comes to me and they've got a real, a real problem practice, or they've got a, uh, difficult partnership relationship that's not pleasant for anyone either so you know if mm-hmm. we can get enough time um a little succession planning goes a long way yeah you mentioned more marketable expand on that a little bit what what in your view is what makes a firm the most marketable so i'm going to say there's two key metrics and it's owner cash flow cash flow to owner what the practice actually you know, produces for the owners and the number of owner hours. So one of the things that we're seeing in terms of a generational um, obstacle is, you know, the newer accountants coming up, they want more free time. They want more time off. And a lot of the retiring generation are fine with working a lot of hours. And so, um, I tell my I tell my buyers like you're probably gonna have to work a hard a little harder than you want at first, <laughs> and uh, I tell my people that are selling, it, you know, you need to start learning how to back off a little bit. So it's, yeah, it's I, you've got that generational uh, gap happening. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How does that you know those two metrics that you talk about? Um, you know, you've got a process that you're helping firms with come up with an end value. And a lot of firms talk about multiples of revenue and these types of things. Is that what you're focused on when you're working with firms to help them get a, a sense of what their practice is actually worth? Or talk yeah. a little bit about that process you go through. Yeah, it's definitely a, um, a a big question on most people's mind. Like, what can I get for this practice? And we look at several factors, but we look at it through the idea of how many potential buyers are there are there going to be for this firm. So location's a good example of that. Like if I'm in a major metropolitan area like Calgary, I'm going to have more buyers than if I'm out in a really rural area in Saskatchewan. So right. it's just a, you know, there's a density of population there. So that's, you know, when I say number of potential buyers, that's sort of a good way to think about that. And that's where we come in is we market to a, a larger audience than someone's going to do if they sell on their own. And, um, you know, but cash flow to owner, if you think about it, I mean, there are going to be more people that want to practice if there's high cash flow than if there's low cash flow. There are going to be more people that want to practice if it's low owner hours than high owner hours. Um the other thing you look at is uh size of the practice can influence it. You know, if, uh, if a practice is, is um, really small or, I mean, there's certain, there's certain price points where the number of buyers will, will increase or decrease. Um, you know, if, take for example, if there's a, a $20 million practice, there's probably 
a small universe of buyers that can first, you know, afford it. And secondly, can properly manage it. So, um, you know, the size of the practice uh, has some influence. And and then there's some sort of what I call curb appeal things. Um, you know, the, the technology, the, just the look of the practice, um, you know, the, the quality of the clients, the type of industries. Um, and there's, can be some, some things that would, um, actually be an obstacle to getting top dollar. You know, if, if you're doing some really off the wall type of work that no one else in the world knows how to do, it's harder to find a buyer for that. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you know, consolidation, you know, especially in Canada, we see the M&Ps, the Grant Thorntons and different groups, uh, you know, buying up some of these smaller firms. Talk a little bit about who those buyers are today. You, you mentioned the size of the market that obviously impacts it, but are you dealing with pretty similar buyers as you're looking at the Canadian landscape today on those sales? Well, we, we have a big mix of buyers. Um, I mean, we've got on the larger firms, we've got private equity buyers out there looking for firms and looking to do roll-ups. We've got um, mid-size practices that are looking to uh, expand through acquisition. And we've also got individual buyers. And believe it or not, um, those are some of our best buyers. We've had, um, you know, sometimes uh, we'll have a, a partner from a former larger firm that wants to just go off on their own and start a practice. And, um, you know, they're very capable of running a, a pretty good sized firm. So, you you know, you could have an individual buyer buy you out. Yeah. Right. Okay. A uh, little bit off the beaten track kind of question here. What What's the biggest misconception you encounter in the sale of firms today? Is that the seller needs to stay on forever to help the buyer succeed. Okay. Like I think the seller thinks that, oh, my practice is just going to collapse behind me as I walk out the door. And that's just not the case. Um, when you find a capable buyer who knows how to provide good client service, um, they really don't need long-term um, transition assistance from the seller. That's, that's really interesting. You know, I think it, you, you know, a lot of CPAs put themselves in that trusted advisor role and they've built up their practices based off, their, their direct relationship with, uh, with their client. I could totally see that that is a mindset that they would have. Yeah. Why, why do you feel again, just explain a little bit more on why you don't think that's as important that clients are maybe okay with somebody stepping in new and. Well, because you know, the, the long-term transition I think is, is where you come when you think about this intuitively, right? And it's counterintuitive. And the only reason we know it's true is because of experience. Mm -hmm. And the experience is um, if the seller stays involved, they, they can be change resistant. They can be, um, they can hold on, you know, hold on to those relationships and they can actually kind of get in the way of the buyer. And, um, so, you know, if the buyer is capable, and that's the key, you've got to have a good fit. 
you've got to have someone that can get in front of those clients and give those clients confidence. You've got to get someone in front of the staff that can lead the staff properly. Um, and if you do those two things, um, just get out of the way, right? Yeah. Just get out of the way. It, it, the relationship, the relationship that the seller has with the client can't be handed off like a baton, right? The buyer has to develop a new relationship with that client. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that, you know, just in my past experience with accounting firms and buying and selling, you know, you, uh, uh, oftentimes you think, well, we're, we'll pay a higher multiple of value as long as we have more protection to retain the clients longer term, that you're going to be there longer, you're going to help with this transition. And, you know, that the, the seller is going to go, yeah, I'm prepared to do that if I'm getting paid to higher value. But Oftentimes, it sounds like your experience is, is that that's a confidence issue, that the buyer coming in wants that retention just simply because maybe they're not as confident in terms of how, you know, their, their capabilities to retain. That's absolutely true. Um, and like I said, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a lack of confidence. It's more of just intuitively, it seems like that would be a good call is to have the mm-hmm. seller around. Um, but... If, you know, if, if the seller is in the office and the buyer's in the office and the client comes in um, and they ask for the, they continue to ask for the seller, how easily, how easy is it going to be to develop that relationship? Yeah. Yeah. Got to rip the bandaid off. Yeah. You got to rip the bandaid off. And it's the same with the staff. If the staff keep going to the, the previous owner for direction, um, you know, that can, that can really hinder that ability of, of the buyer to develop those relationships. Yeah, yeah. We are going to get back to the interview in just a moment. If you are listening to this episode of the podcast and wondering what you can do today to transform your CPA practice, I have a free resource I want to share with you. It's called the Integrated Advisory Video Series. This eight-part video series shares our learnings over the past 20 years of how successful accounting firms are increasing revenue by offering a more holistic service offering to their clients. You will walk away with a firm understanding of the immediate changes that are happening in the accounting industry and the impact that they will have on your firm in the future. How successful independent accounting firms are broadening their service offerings and offering a better client experience without increasing their billable hours. And how you can become your client's most valued advisor by being at the core of their wealth management team. To get access to this free eight-part video series, visit integratedadvisory.ca. That's integratedadvisory.ca to learn how you can grow your firm without burning out or increasing your billable hours. Visit integratedadvisory.ca and get free access to the video series today. Now back to our guest. So back to a little bit of the U.S.-Canada differences. So when, you, when you're looking at firms um, today between the U.S. and Canada, what are, what are you seeing as the differences there? I mean, we, we've got primarily Canadian listeners here and my sort of view is I, I always feel like in Canada, we have a little bit of a crystal ball south of the border. Um, I know in my career as I've moved into wealth management, I spent a lot of time looking at what was working in the U.S. As you look at the accounting firms, what do you see as those differences? And are there big differences? Maybe they're not. Um, I don't think they're too too big of differences. I think one thing um, it's interesting 
you know, when I first started doing business in Canada, I noticed there was a different pace, a little different pace. Um, you know, I would make a call and maybe not get a call back quite as quickly. Uh, emails the same way. I think Americans are so, gosh, we're so instant gratification. And initially it frustrated me because I didn't, it was, it was, you know, because it wasn't what I expected. I think it was just a missed expectation. And I've come to really, uh, enjoy and admire that pace. Um, I think, and this is a, a big, um, generalization I'm about to make, but I think, I think Canadians, um, do a better job than Americans at taking time off and taking time away from their businesses, um, balancing out their lives. And you know what, in a way it, it's made them build better practices. Um, I've, I've run into some really amazing Canadian practices that have an incredible amount of collaboration. Um, I think they were built with more relaxed thinking and, and less, uh, just raw, uh, entrepreneurialism. I don't know, un, unstructured entrepreneurialism. Um, so that's kind of my take is, is, is one of the main cultural differences. Um, on the flip side, I think there's some really cool American firms that are embracing the cloud, embracing the advisory tools and the technology, maybe, um, I don't know. I don't know if I would say it's even more so, but I do think I'm seeing like more, rapid growth. I've seen firms in the U S some really rapidly growing firms and roll-ups and more aggressive, um, growth plans, but that's, are, are most of those more acquisition focused or are they, are they doing something unique? Like you say, with a technology platform or with a unique client experience or service model, what, what is helping them grow rapidly say compared to what you're seeing in Canada? Um, that's a great question. Um, I I think, you know, there's so much, there's so many variety of, of answers to that. I've seen so many examples of firms, like there's one firm, um, they won't look at an acquisition less than 5 million because they realize there's a certain magical, uh, scale when you get to 5 million. So they just, they only want to buy locations, doing that because it's at that point, it's a pretty much a self run, a self managing office. You can have a, a managing partner for that office and you can manage the firm and manage the growth really well. Um, that's a U.S. firm. Um, I've seen um, a firm out of Atlanta do a ton of acquisitions in the cloud space and they've been really smart about bringing in talent. Um, yeah, they're looking at acquisitions, not just in terms of the client base, they're looking more for the talent, um, and the technology. So, uh, but I've seen some, you know, I've seen some, um, very profitable Canadian firms that are built because of just really good basic delegation and, um, you know, just more collaboration probably more, maybe it's a little more collaborative 
Um, when, when you say collaboration, do you mean within uh, within their own internal teams or with a client's other adv- external advisors? Where, 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 when you say collaboration, what do you mean? I, I mean among the partners. Okay. Uh, like, um, I've, I've, and this is, I don't know if these generalizations are really fair. I'll be, be just full disclosure <laughs> here. Um, you know, but a lot of part, a lot more, I've seen a lot more partner issues in the U S than I have in Canada. Okay. And yeah, I don't know why that, I don't know why that is. Yeah. That's an interesting observation, whether it's, uh, maybe we're just a little more passive. <laughs> that could be a generalization too. <laughs> Anyways, that's that's interesting. And the, the services. Let's let's talk a little bit about that client experience. So obviously, more technology, more cloud, cloud base. Do you see much differences in the services that firms are doing today? I know, you know, firms do general accounting, tax, corporate advisory. You know, some firms are dabbling in financial planning, wealth management. How do you see that? Do you see many differences there between both sides of the border? Like are Canadians embracing certain types of services or client experiences differently than what you're seeing in the US US side of the world? No, I, I can't I can't say that I noticed any major differences there. Um other than wealth management has been permissible more so in the US than it has in Canada. So I've seen more firms get into wealth management here in the U S um, and you mentioned the word dabbling and whenever I see a CPA dabbling in anything uh, you know, it's sort of a, throws up a red flag for me mm-hmm. because <clears throat> when you, when you don't have, you know, I've seen a lot of CPAs get stretched way too thinly and they focus on several different areas. You know, they'll have, <clears throat> they'll have audit, they'll have, um, bookkeeping, tax, tax planning, you know, you throw in wealth management and throw in <clears throat> cost segregation analysis. And I don't know, there's all sorts of things you can pile on. But at some point, that lack of focus falls to, you know, a firm that really isn't performing very well. And it falls to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, in the Accounting Practice Academy, we have an example of a very highly focused firm in an unfocused firm and um, where I've seen success is when you've got, um, you know, somebody needs to own whatever vertical you're in. So if you're going to go into different verticals, somebody needs to own that. There needs to be a partner or, or a high level um, person that's, that owns that division. Right. So not trying to dabble between six and midnight on, uh, you know, corporate advisory or yep. personal planning, you know, right. put your core base client relationship at risk with your existing services. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we see that in, in some of the firms that we work with too, the ones that are, are seeing more success are the ones that are truly going to commit to those different service lines and create that leadership. Um, how, you know, firms that have evolved, like going back to the selling side, firms that have moved into these other service lines, are there any unique things that you're seeing on sales that occur? Like, are they bundling all this into one sale? Or are they 
looking at that differently or the multiples different depending on uh you know the service complement that these firms have what what are you seeing there well i think you know it goes back to those two fundamentals i was talking about earlier is owner hours and cash flow to owner so if they're if they're successfully running their practice um that's going to help them upon sale um there are certain pieces of the practice that if you can split those off and sell them separately, that usually benefits the seller. Um, payroll is a perfect example. If you've got a um, freestanding payroll business, you can sell that at a, a very high multiple. If you've got a freestanding wealth management practice, you can sell that at a much higher multiple. Most CPA firms, you asked me this earlier, and I don't think I gave you the actual numbers, but you know most CPA firms go around one times. And that can be anywhere from a 0.7 multiple of annual revenue on the low end. You know, we actually have one under contract in Toronto right now for over 2x, which oh, wow. which is a record for us. Um, and guess what? The firm has high net worth clients, so they're mm-hmm. it's it's very um, ripe for wealth management. Um, yep. Yeah. So and then on the 0.7 side on the low end, what's the, you know, if one, if one seems to be the kind of the sweet spot for most, what makes a multiple look like 0.7? What, what kind of drives that? Well, often location can be a driver. Uh, it could be that the seller is just incredibly motivated for whatever reason. Um, it could be a fire sale and a bad health situation. Um, it could be that it's just uh, work, you know, freestanding tax returns are not often valued as much as business work. So if it's, if it's too heavily weighted toward individual tax returns, um, if the pricing, there are a lot of, a lot of CPAs don't price their services as well as they could. And so if there's a lot of underpricing going on, that can hurt the multiple. That, that sort of complement between consulting work and sort of the windshield uh, future-based planning versus the stuff that technology is commoditizing and in some degree replacing, I, I've got to assume that that's impacting, you know, when you're looking at firms today, that will impact their multiple if they're very heavily weighted in, say, tax prep, as, as you talked about. Yeah, it's, um, you know, if you've got a great, client base and the clients are willing to do advisory um, if they're high net worth um, and the practice is, is profitable and um, that's going to bring a higher multiple for sure. Let's talk a minute about competitors to accounting firms. Like, do you see that changing? Um, You know, we talk a lot about in Canada, how, you know, the landscape is changing. We're, we're opening things up to allow accounting firms with some professional standard changes to move into other areas. You know, we, we, we see some issues today with the banks where they are, um, you know, almost providing traditional accounting-based services to their clients. What's your view on that? Is, is the profession at risk with sort of tech companies or non-traditional competitors? Where do, where do you see that today? 
I, I don't think you can rule that out at some point, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an immediate threat. I know, uh, I know KPMG rolled out something called KPMG Spark. You heard about this? It's uh, yeah, briefly, yeah. It's um, kind of bookkeeping, and um, I do think the bookkeeping side could could become commoditized, probably within the next few years. Um, tax is going to become somewhat more and more commoditized, but there's a, you know, th- there, there's a certain client that's never going to want to use those tools. Like there's still a heavy demand for the client that wants the relationship with the CPA mm-hmm. and they want the advice and that that's the technology is only going to help the accountant get rid of that, you know, that get rid of, I say, get rid of, I mean, get complete, get done with that compliance piece much more efficiently. So it only helps the accountant, you know? Mm-hmm. So if, if, if you're um, providing good relationship and good advice and insight to your clients technology is not a threat at all. It, it's a tool that you should embrace. Yeah. I, I, you know, and uh, looking at some of the, some of those changes, we're definitely seeing a bit of an appetite within the accounting community to start to embrace more of that, whether it's the cloud side or creating portals to sort of create a better client experience. Um, you know, I think that theme and just interested in your view on that, like, it seems like, Progressive firms are trying to create that kind of one-stop shop, you know, where clients can come together, you know, utilize technology, access more services. Is that, is that playing into what you're seeing with firms and, and ultimately value uh, where they're trying to achieve growth? Yeah, we, um, you know, we just had a, I just wrapped up a Zoom session with a, a group of Accounting Practice Academy members and one of the members there is um, he's actually considering selling off a good bit of his clients because they don't fit his new model. And his new model is uh, we're going to do bookkeeping. Uh, we're going to do some advisory for these business clients these business owners. We're going to do tax planning and we're going to do wealth management. And, you know, he's bringing on a person who's dedicated only to wealth management to the wealth management side He's got a solid team um, and he's creating that capacity by getting rid of uh, the clients that don't fit that model. Um, So he's going to have a very focused firm. He's going to have a very clearly identified client profile Mm -hmm. and he's going to be successful. I have no doubt. Um, And, and that model is not going to be right for every CPA though. Right. Like it's, it's not for everybody. Um, I've seen successful models where, you know, they they focus on efficiency and they focus on efficiently doing individual tax returns. And that's okay. If, if you, if that's what your model is and that's what your focus is, um, there's still a place for you, uh, mm-hmm. at least right now. Um, so, but yeah, I think, I think the model needs to fit the practitioner and the, the owners of the firm. And, um, you know, that's, uh, 
but but yeah to your to your point having that those high end kind of offerings i feel like is if you're capable of doing that work uh you're going to make more money and probably enjoy the work more if that's what you're doing mhm so you you'd mentioned the accounting practice academy a couple of times um you know i knowing you and your business a little bit, I know you guys are doing a lot of really cool things to, to build community, um, you know, educate CPAs, uh, add value, you know, maybe just speak to that, speak to the Academy and some of the other, uh, resources that you're, uh, providing. Yeah. Um, so we have a a pretty highly followed blog at pogroupadvisors.com and we also, um, podcast on a regular basis. I actually really love doing podcasting. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk with thought leaders in various fields, not just in, you know, there's a lot of uh, professionals that aren't focused on the accounting industry that can add a lot of value to the accounting industry. We had a, um, I had the president of the U S uh, national speakers association do a podcast with me once and, um, she'd written a book about generational differences, which was a fascinating podcast. Uh, I like, I like to write. So I've written a couple of books, um, book called accountants flight plan and, um, on your own, how to start your own CPA firm. So I've written, uh, uh, both of those actually accountants flight plan was published by CPA Canada and by the AICPA. Um, and then we rolled out Academy in 2020. So we started, working on Academy in 2019. That is a virtual workshop for owners of CPA firms. And it's an eight week uh, workshop where uh, we go over the fundamentals. You know, that's, it's not a technology workshop. Uh, It's a, it's more of the, the basics, you know, Um, we analyze what you, we help you analyze your own data, look at what you've got, help you help you build goals to look where you want to go and um, create a, a roadmap to get there. So that's the kind of the goal of Academy. So in, at the end of the eight weeks, you have a roadmap of how to um, make change in your accounting practice to get it where you want it. And so that's focused on the ultimate exit of a owner from his practice and trying to maximize the value and achieve those, you know, personal goals along the way as part of that. Is that kind of what it's focused on? It's definitely, uh, that's definitely a a common type of person who takes Academy is someone who's gearing up for a sale. We definitely have had a lot of members, but we've had some young people in there too. So I think our youngest member was like 33 Mm -hmm. and which is great. If you, if you own a practice at 33 and you're, and you're building a firm, um, it's great to have these foundational principles and there's nothing magical about these, but, um, you know, I, I think so many firms get unfocused and so many practitioners work too many hours. And, uh, you know, those are the types of things that we address. That's great. So the Academy, sorry, what was your podcast again? I I didn't know if you'd mentioned it. What was the name of it again? It's called the Accountants Flight Plan Podcast. Podcast. Okay, great. And, um, and, and just in terms of your process, walk me through that. So if I'm a CPA firm today and, 
I'm wanting to sell my practice or I'm nearing that transition. What, what, how do you guys sort of work with firms like that? What's the, what's your kind of unique process that you take them through? Yeah, well, our process is called the seamless succession and it's a, a five step process. And, you know, first we want to, we want to just kind of explore and get to know the practice a little bit, get to know what your goals are in terms of the sale know what your time frame is. Um, and once we, once we get that, um, if someone decides that they want to be a client, um, we sign them, you know, we sign them and we build a nice profile of their business. And, um, what I find is that practice profile is the, is a great filtering tool. And, that's what actually goes to potential purchasers is that profile. And um, once we have the profile built, we build the marketing language off of the profile. So we have a very accurate description of the practice that's concise. And, you know, by doing that, you're going to attract the right kind of buyers and, um, and you might repel some of the ones that shouldn't look at the practice. And that's okay. You want to filter it. You know, this is a, a filtering process. And uh, once we have the, the marketing language ready and the profile ready, we um, we put it through our marketing phase, which uh, we're very aggressive. We, we're, we've been in CPA Canada's, I guess it's called Pivot now. We've been in that publication for, I think, since 2006. Um, and just our thought leadership, we've got a large network of buyers throughout Canada and the U S we have buyers in all 50 States, the U S and all provinces of Canada. Um, to my knowledge, I think we've sold more firms in Canada than anyone. And, um, so once we market the firm, um, then once we find a buyer, um, and the buyer kind of has to go through a process as well, which I don't want to get into too much minutia here, but, um, once we get to negotiating, um, we we like to facilitate that negotiation. I have clients that are perfectly capable and want to negotiate on their own. And if that's the case, we can kind of be in a support role. But our preference is to um, let the negotiations flow through us. And we try to keep everything simple. Um, you know, the negotiations can be... I think accountants tend to like complexity to a certain degree and we want to, we want to bring simplicity into the process. And so we want to um, keep that negotiation as simple as we can. Um, and then once we, uh, once the de deal is negotiated, then we go into the transition planning phase. So um, our clients, we um, go through, successful best practices for transition, like how to notify staff, how to notify clients, uh, what the buyer needs to focus on, you know, right after the closing and the first month. Um, and then, uh, you know, we want to set them up for um, just best practices on managing that practice in year one. Yeah. Having that uh, post sale success and, have it end up being a good experience instead of a bad one, as you often hear when people sell their businesses, right? It, yeah. It, uh, unless you think what happens after it's, it, it can be a challenge. So, 
No, well, that's great, Brandon. I, uh, if, if listeners wanted to learn more about you, I mean, obviously the podcast, the Academy, there's resources there, but if they want to get in touch with you or learn, learn more about what you or your firm does, how do, how do they go about doing that? So I would suggest two channels. We have our website, which is pogroupadvisors.com. Um, and then if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, look me up at Brandon Poe, B-R-A-N-N-O-N, Poe, P-O-E. That's fantastic. Um, and maybe just to close off, if you're going to leave our listeners with one sort of major takeaway then that are considering uh, selling their practice, what's what's the the most important takeaway there? Start early. Start early thinking about it. Figure out what you want to do and when you want to do it. And uh, yeah, just it doesn't take long to do a little planning. That's perfect. Good advice. Well, thank you again, Brandon. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you here today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy life and uh, joining us. Lot, lots of value shared and your experience. I look forward to uh, connecting with you. Maybe when uh, we get to start traveling again, maybe we'll grab a, a dinner in Santa Monica sometime soon. Uh, I'd like that. I'm ready for that, Tim. <laughs> thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thanks Bye. again, Brandon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Innovative Accountant Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the show and maybe even learned something. If you're interested in transforming your client experience to create sustainable firm growth, get in touch with us by visiting integratedadvisory.ca to set up your free call with one of our integrated advisory experts. Visit integratedadvisory.ca to schedule your free call today, and we will see you next time right here on the Innovative Accountant Podcast.